Last year, we launched our course, The Data-Driven Classroom, and had hundreds of educators and clinicians take this course with consistently amazing feedback. I heard from so many teachers how this course really changed the way they approach data, how they were able to set up simple data systems, train their paras, and be collecting data to make data-based decisions within days of finishing the course. That feedback made me so happy. Now that course has been closed and unavailable since last year, but guess what? We are reopening the course, the data-based classroom, and I want you to be one of the first ones in. If data is something you have been struggling with for years, let's work on this together. Let me give you all of the tools to make this something that can consistently happen in your classroom. And guess what? Since you are a podcast listener, and I absolutely love my podcast listeners, I have an awesome code for you. When you use the code DATA100, you're going to get $100 off of the course bundle. Now, this code is only going to be usable until March 20th. So you only have one week to use this code, but Data 100 will get you $100 off of that course bundle. So that means for less than $200, you are getting the amazing data toolkit with literally hundreds of data sheets, all editable. And don't worry, I teach you how to edit it. And that entire data-driven course that touches on academic data, behavior data, staff training, and so much more. There's a link in the show notes with all of the information. Let's make this year the year that data really works. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. So today we're going to talk about the least reinforcing scenario. I was really looking forward to this interview and I have to tell you guys, it did not disappoint. I had a lot of light bulb moments during this conversation. Today I'm interviewing school psychologist and board certified behavior analyst, Shannon Sly. Shannon shares what the least reinforcing scenario is and how we can utilize it with behaviors where we don't yet know the function. So think about all those times that a new behavior happens and we're not quite sure what to do next. Well, Shannon has a plan for you and it's a great one. Let's get started. Hi, Shannon. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Sasha. Thanks for having me. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Today, Shannon is going to be teaching us about the least reinforcing scenario. So to get us started, do you want to explain what that means and why this is important to know about? Sure, absolutely. Um, I love talking about this topic. I first learned about this topic from the book, um, What Shamu Taught Me, about life, love, and marriage. Have you read it? No. Oh, it's awesome. I recommend it to um, almost everybody. It, the author is Amy Sutherland, and she breaks down the behavioral principles in really easy terms. She's not a behavior analyst. She's actually a journalist. So it's a really fun, easy read. So definitely worth picking up. Oh, I'm excited about that. Yes, but she has a chapter on the least reinforcing scenario, and I I love it. And what that means is really the whole premise behind it is that we want to respond to problem behavior without accidentally reinforcing it. 
um, specifically when function is unknown. When we do know function, we have a more tailored response. But when we don't know function, we have to you know, assume or be aware that any response we have, positive or negative, could fuel that response. So looking at the least reinforcing scenario, we all know the ABC continuum, the antecedent behavior and then consequence. Um, we know that reinforcement increases behavior in the future and punishment decreases behavior in the future. But other than that, just by looking at something, we, we don't know whether it's going to fuel a behavior because mm -hmm. we know um, reinforcement is really specific to the individuals. There's a really funny clip that I used to illustrate this of a toddler who her mom keeps handing her chocolate and she'll push it, push it away and say, no. And she does that about four or five times. And then her mom puts a bowl, a bowl of broccoli in front of her. And this girl just starts mowing down on broccoli. And you can watch <laughs> her just eat this bowl of broccoli for a really long time. And uh, it just really illustrates that. We don't always, what we think might be a reinforcing or we, what we think might be punishing might actually have the opposite effect. As you could probably tell from the title of Amy Sutherland's book, the least reinforcing scenario really did evolve out of animal training. And the way they use it is a five second pause after an animal makes a mistake. And then they just reintroduce the, um, the cue. And it looks really different when we apply this to humans because we are very sophisticated. But uh, what I love that it illustrates that we don't need to use punishment in order to decrease behavior. Um, most of the time, if a behavior doesn't provoke any type of reaction, then it typically dies away. And by reaction, I don't just mean attention. Um, so we're really trying to maintain the environment as best as possible. Some examples about how that might apply in our regular life. Um, if you get into a car and your car doesn't start, what would you do? Oh, me? I have no idea. I'm crying. You, you probably <laughs> no, try again. <laughs> you try again. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then after that, what would you do? Keep trying or call someone. Yeah, so eventually you're going to stop trying to start the car. You might try a few times, and then you might give up and call someone. So you're starting, your behavior of starting the car didn't yield anything. You weren't punished. Your car didn't zap you or scold you or send you to timeout. It just didn't work. Nothing happened. Um, same thing if you always drive through like a restaurant, like McDonald's or something, and nobody's ever at the window. Eventually, you're going to stop going through that drive through because nobody th nobody's there. That behavior's not working. You're not punished. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of the premise of the least reinforcing scenario. It does, um, it's not as simple as just doing nothing though, because oftentimes if we just do nothing with children, their behavior can escalate or they might try something a little more um, exciting for a better word. Uh, so an example that I like to use is kindergarten students. I had the luxury of working with a really awesome student teacher in a kindergarten classroom. And kindergartners, do you have kids, Sasha? Yes, I have a current kindergarten or pre-kindergartner, so about the same. <laughs> okay. Um, is your pre-kindergartner in the tattling phase yet? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. She actually tattles on me and my husband to each other. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Um, I don't think I would um, fare very well if my kids started tattling on me. <laughs> But so in the kindergarten classroom, the student teacher put a poster of a king on the wall. And I mean, it was just a picture of a king. He had a crown. It was a little blinged out. And it was, they named him the Tattle King. And so when the kids came up to tattle, what, ta what typically happens when kids come and tattle? They get a reaction. 
Yeah, they get a reaction. And sometimes that reaction is just, you know, they like the attention they get from it. But sometimes they are also getting, a, they're able to witness somebody getting in trouble, which isn't very nice. Or they get a toy back. All of, there's a lot of different things that could potentially be happening to reinforce that tattling, and we don't exactly know what it is. So with the Tattle King, when the students came up to tattle, the teacher just kept her face blank and pointed to the Tattle King, the poster. So there was some prompting there. It's not nothing. And then the very first day, all of these kids were lined up to like <laughs> tell the Tattle King. It was so exciting. Everybody wanted to be a part of it. But then shortly after, it died away. And they stopped. They didn't go to the teacher either because they got nothing from the teacher other than a you know blank face and a point. Um, and then the Tattle King obviously did nothing either. So um, that's where we're trying to maintain the environment as best as possible. So when we're thinking about it more practically, um, I mean, sometimes we're dealing with behavior that's a little more exciting than tattling. Um, the do's and don'ts, we want to continue what we're doing as best as possible. Uh, we want to keep our facial expression really neutral. And we do want to continue the demand using the least invasive prompt that'll work. Um, we don't want to make eye contact. We don't want to you know, make a big scene. We don't want to remove the task or even prompt a break. Um, I know breaks are a universal support and all kids need to have access to that, just not contingent on problem behavior. Mm -hmm. So um, an example might be for a younger student, um, if it, you have a younger student that runs from group instruction to a book area, you can kind of think, of, think through what are your different response options and which one's gonna be the least reinforcing. So for the student that runs to a book area, you could just ignore the student. Uh, as a result, the student would escape group instruction and access books. Uh, we could yell to the student from across the room to come back. But it, as a result of that, the student gets a big emotional response and they're still back in the books. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other staff response would be to guide the student back to group with minimal eye contact, touch, and um, any vocal interaction, trying to keep that super boring. There, the student does not gain access to books. They're not escaping the task, and they might be getting a tiny bit of attention, but it's definitely um, a lot more boring than a big emotional interaction from across the room. Oh my gosh, I, my like wheels are spinning right now. I love this so much. I think I could it would talk be about so, this all day. I know. Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, I have so many questions. It would be so helpful to even write it out, like exactly how you just explained. Because sometimes we get so in our own head and we're part of the problem, but even being able to write out what are my options for responding and then identifying, like you said, what is the least reinforcing scenario? Right. We did just that at a meeting this morning. A teacher was asking about a specific behavior. And so I pulled out this little, you know, blank little flowchart and we did, we wrote it out. This was the behavior. These are our options. And which one has the least amount of payoff when we don't know function? I mean, when mm -hmm. we do, our response would definitely be different. So going back to the student that runs from group to the book area, if we knew the student wanted attention, we would just ignore. That would be a totally mm -hmm. different response. If we knew the student, uh, as a result of an FBA, was looking to escape and access books, we might give them more attention. Uh, still, we want to be boring with our attention, but we might give a little more than we otherwise would in order to prevent that payoff of escape to the tangible books. 
Could this idea also be utilized while you're in the process of collecting ABC data? Because I get that question a lot. Like, okay, I know I have to collect data to figure out function, but what do I do tomorrow? That That's a really good question. So ideally, we're using this all of, all of the time for behavior we don't want to continue to see. Because as I said, of behavior, if it doesn't provoke um, some type of you know, positive outcome, it'll just die away. Um, so we should be doing this. My only hesitation is during the FBA, we do need to analyze what is happening before and after the behavior to see the payoff. So if we change our responses in the midst of an, an analysis or an assessment, then we could muddy that data too. So I think I it would depend on the situation. Yeah, that's a great point. And you could see how maybe if you have a student with more extreme behaviors, and obviously in a school setting, you might not be able to safely evoke behaviors, that this might be a good alternative. Yeah, it's definitely. Safety is always a, a key feature. Um, so can you talk me through another example, maybe with um, an older student and maybe in more of an academic setting on what sure. this looks like? So an, an older example might be a student, uh, let's call her uh, Shelly. And when she's given a math worksheet in you know, her math class, she rips up a paper and kind of exaggerates as she puts it in the trash. Um, that's really fun behavior. <laughs> <laughs> and so our three options here might be, again, ignore Shelly. We could just ignore her. Uh, the outcome for that, though, as a result, she would be escaping the task. We could sit with Shelly and prompt her through the new copy of the worksheet. Um, and that way she would complete the task, but she would have high quality attention during that time. Um, a third response might be to place a new worksheet on her desk while saying nothing and avoiding eye contact and uh, you know, hoping she follows through. And then she wouldn't escape the task at that point. She's not getting a lot of attention. And I would maintain the, the prompt as long as it could be boring. So I might tap the paper, um, maybe use some visuals. It depends on the student for sure on how you would keep that task demand there. I mm -hmm. have been in a situation where a student has ripped up like 17, I think it was 17 <laughs> worksheets, but then the 18th, they were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Right. So, I mean, it is student specific, but I do like walking through the different options for sure. Yeah. This is such a great like idea. Like you said, we should just get in the routine of, of always approaching behaviors this way. And especially as new behaviors pop up as frequently as they do, and we're not quite sure on the function yet, and you're like, do I ignore it? Do I not? You know, we have that internal conversation, kind of getting this in our repertoire of responding in this way. Yes. I mean, a lot of people really err on, like, let's just ignore, but there's more to the least reinforcing scenario than just ignoring. And what I do love is that there's a pause there, and then they're getting to try again. So there's no punishment. And if you think about it in terms of academics, if a student can't read, we teach them. If they can't do math, we teach them. If they can't write, we teach them. But if they are, uh, if they're not behaving the way we want, we try to punish them. And what Greg Hanley would say is that the challenging behavior is just, you know, accidental learning. And so when students don't know how to behave, instead of punishing them, we really want to send the message that, oops, that wasn't right, but let's try again, and then prompt them to a more accurate response. If you're thinking about math, if you asked a student what two plus two is, and they said three, you wouldn't say no, you wouldn't send them to timeout, you wouldn't have you know, any type of you know, response there that we, we would think would be negative. 
we would pause, we'd probably provide the cue again and immediately offer a prompt to um, increase the likelihood that they're responding correctly. And we should do the same thing with behavior. Yes. I love that analogy. And I love any reference to Greg Hanley. (laughs) (laughs) You and me both. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, so often our response after a negative behavior really isn't a response. It's a reaction. It's this emotion driven, like guttural, like, oh, I stop doing that. And we don't even think about why we're engaging in that behavior. Oh, right. For sure. I mean, behavior for sure can evoke a lot of emotions from us. And then we're just kind of yelling or reprimanding haphazardly. And it feels good for us in the moment. It is sometimes that automatic sensory response, but it could be inadvertently reinforcing that behavior. Right. Especially if it works sometimes. I mean, then we're being reinforced. And what I like to tell teachers is often what stops the behavior in the moment is what makes it recur over time. So thinking about the toddler in a a checkout line at a grocery store, if they're screaming for goldfish or a Snickers, what is the quickest way to make them stop screaming? To give them the Snickers. <laughs> right, give them the Snickers. And that does stop it in the moment. However, it does make it more prevalent over time. And the next time you're in the checkout line with that toddler, she or he is going to start screaming again. And it becomes this vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. But it, it feels good for us in the moment because the Snickers, it just, it solved the problem in the moment for us. So we're reinforced. And then also we have those students in school where you know they can really be struggling and there's somebody that can come. There's always one person that could come in and swoop and just make it all better right away. Um, But again, thinking about what stops the behavior in the moment makes it more likely to recur in the future. If that swooper can come in and swoop and make things all better, that isn't necessarily a good thing. I mean, it feels good for everyone in the moment, especially the the swooper is also reinforced. But... (laughs) Over time, it can make the problem worse. Yes. Oh, Shannon, thank you so much for sharing. This has been so interesting. You're right. I could talk about this for a long time. So I'll (laughs) I'll wrap it up before we do. (laughs) All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, Shannon. Mm -hmm. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum, Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.